2: You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised.
3: The town of Moses Lake, Washington is located about 100 miles southwest of Spokane with a population of around 20,000 people. Moses Lake consists of about 18 square miles of land. It's the kind of place where most residents might know each other. The chances of a Moses Lake resident being the victim of a violent crime are 1 in 204. However, a resident's chances of being the victim of a property crime such as burglary, arson, larceny, or vehicle theft is 1 in 17. Still, Moses Lake hardly seems to be a place where you'd expect any shocking crimes to occur. But in August of 2008, not one but two shocking crimes did occur there within less than 24 hours of each other. On the morning of August 2nd of that year, -year 69-year-old retiring grandfather, William Arlie Walker, who went by Bill, was tinkering in his garage when an explosion occurred. His wife Dorothy had gone on a road trip with some family members to the town of Wenatchee, a town about an hour away. So Bill was home alone when the explosion happened. At some point, Dorothy tried to call home to Bill, but she didn't get an answer. This wasn't typical of Bill who always answered his phone. After a little while, Dorothy called Bill again, but still didn't get an answer. Feeling as if something wasn't right, Dorothy and her family headed back to the walker home to check on him. As they drove... Dorothy called a neighbor and asked if they could go over to check on Bill. But the neighbor never really made an effort to go over and check on Bill's well-being. Finally, Dorothy reached a family member who agreed to check on Bill. Once this family member made it to the Walker home, he looked around and headed for the garage where Bill spent most of his time. When he walked into the garage, he wasn't prepared for what he found. Bill Walker was dead on the floor, lying face down, with severe injuries to his neck and chest and the garage was a mess with damage and debris scattered about. The relative immediately called police, and then called Dorothy who was already on her way home from Wenatchee. Police arrived at the scene accompanied by firefighters and started to assess the scene. The air in the garage smelled of sulfur. As they sifted through the remnants of the debris, they found parts of a battery charger and some lanterns. They immediately suspected that Bill had somehow been the victim of an accidental explosion, possibly due to his carelessness. It wasn't long before Bill's family arrived back at home and were horrified to see police at the scene. It was then that Dorothy Walker had to face that her husband of 40 years was dead. Police told his family that Bill was most likely killed instantly when the explosion happened. His body had lay on the floor of the garage for hours before it was discovered. It wasn't long before neighbors began to report hearing what they thought was an explosion that morning between 9 and 10 a.m., but none of them bothered to investigate the source of it. From the start... The Walker family doubted that Bill, a mechanic and retired electrician, would be careless enough to blow himself up. As Bill's body was removed, Walker's family wanted to spare his wife Dorothy of the additional pain of seeing the destruction in the garage. So they began to clean up the mess and then were forced to deal with the painful aftermath. Just after midnight on August 3rd, only hours after Bill Walker was killed, across town another explosion ripped through the night. When the dust settled... A 53 year old man named Javier Martinez Adami was dead. Police and firefighters responded to the scene after receiving a 911 call from Adami's 30 year old girlfriend, Heather Smith, who wasn't hurt in the blast. Smith told investigators that she had discovered a police scanner and a bag outside of her home. When she told Javier about it, he brought it into the kitchen and plugged the power cord into an outlet, causing the explosion. The investigation revealed that the cause of the explosion was a pipe bomb hidden inside the scanner. It was designed to be detonated when the scanner was plugged in. Police now had two men in their small town dead from explosions in less than 12 hours. They knew that Javier Adame was killed by a pipe bomb, and now they realized that they needed to go back to Bill Walker's garage to see if it might be linked. The problem was that the Walker family had already cleaned up much of the debris after being told the explosion was an accident, and this may have led to valuable evidence being lost. The FBI and ATF became involved in the investigation, And upon closer examination of Walker's garage, they found remnants of a pipe bomb. They determined that the bomb had been placed inside a battery charger and was designed to explode when it was plugged in. Police believe that Bill discovered the battery charger on his property and brought it into his garage to plug it in when the blast occurred. At this point, investigators had no doubt the two bombings were connected. They tried to find any links between the two victims. But other than both being killed with pipe bombs hidden in other devices, they couldn't find any. Walker and Adami didn't know each other, and they didn't move in the same circles. They looked into the two men's backgrounds and concluded that the bomb that killed Adami was most likely meant for him, but that the bomb that killed Walker was likely meant for somebody else. Further investigation turned towards a drug angle. Although Bill Walker had no connections to drugs, Investigators did determine that a relative of his did and had been previously arrested for growing marijuana plants. It was also reported that Javier Adami had drug charges in his past. Soon, rumors began to swirl that there was a drug cartel operating in the area and that the bombings may have been related to their activity, but this was never proven. Police also looked into the possibility that the bombings were connected to a bomb that blew up a truck two weeks before the murders. Nobody was hurt in that incident. Two years later in 2010, another bomb blew up a vehicle in a parking lot of a potato factory not far from the murders. But luckily, once again, nobody was injured. That's a lot of bombings over a two-year period in a small town. The investigation seemed to turn back towards members of Bill Walker's own family when it was learned that the battery charger that held the bomb that killed him actually belonged to Bill. He had lent it out to a family member sometime before, and police are unsure how it came back to Bill with a bomb inside of it. Some of Walker's family members were given lie detector tests, and according to some reports, at least one of the tests showed deception. It was also reported that one or more of Bill's family gave DNA to investigators. It's now been 10 years since Bill Walker and Javier Adami were killed in separate but related pipe bomb explosions. There have been no arrests made in the case, and if police have suspects in mind, they aren't disclosing who they might be. Bill Walker's family has raised money to offer as a reward in this case, which currently stands at $10,000. One more note that may or may not be connected to this case is that in December of 2008, just four months after the murders, Javier Adami's girlfriend, Heather Smith, was found dead in the same home where the bomb exploded. Her body was found nude one day after the power to the home had been turned off. Her death was being treated as suspicious by police, but there were no outward or obvious signs of foul play. Toxicology reports were ordered to find the cause of death, but it's not known if police ever released these results. Bill Walker's granddaughter, Victoria, who's been instrumental in raising funds for a reward in the case, as well as keeping attention on it, joined me to help try and shed some light on this sad and fascinating mystery. Victoria, I just want to welcome you to the show and thank you for coming on to talk about the murder in your family, and that's the murder of your grandfather, William Walker.
4: No, yes, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here to talk about it.
3: And if you can, tell us a little bit about your grandfather and who he was and what kind of man he was.
4: Well, my grandfather was what I would call a real man's man. He was the hunting and fishing type of guy. Um, he had just turned 69 the month before his murder. Uh, he was retired and living in a very small town called Moses Lake, Washington. And he and my grandmother lived outside of Moses Lake, a few miles, about five miles, and um, he tried to keep busy with, um, he was kind of like the local handyman, Um, he liked to go hunting and fishing, and work on cars, and a lot of neighbors and, you know, family members would come and hang out in his garage, and they'd work on cars or tinker around with this or that, so he really kept busy that way, but technically he was a retired electrician.
3: So he was a real hands-on guy that liked to build stuff and work on stuff in the garage.
4: Absolutely. He didn't like to sit still, or if he he did, he was in his recliner doing crossword puzzles or watching the hunting channel. But, yeah, he liked to stay busy. Um, He was, like I said, a, a retired electrician, so he liked to work with his hands, and he liked to problem solve. And, you know, if anybody had something that needed fixing, they would always come to him. So he liked to stay busy that way.
3: And you mentioned the town that this happened in. Uh, How big a town is that, or was that at the time?
4: You know, this next month is going to be the 10-year anniversary of his murder. And at the time, 10 years ago, the population of Moses Lake was less than 19,000. So it is a small town. I'm sure it's grown since then, but at the time, less than 19,000 people.
3: And the house where your grandfather lived, was that out of the way, sort of separated from the town, uh, or pretty close to it?
4: It was outside of city limits, probably about four miles, not too far, about four miles.
3: And before this happened, had he had any kind of problems or run-ins with anybody, any problems on the property or anything like that?
4: Uh, you no, know, not at all. It's a small community where they lived. It's, it's I think, incorporated called Wheeler and uh, it's, just, I mean, really just a handful of people there, and they were all close. In fact, my grandparents moved there because one of the neighbors, uh, a woman that was a family friend, she's now deceased, Mrs. Oliver, lived out there, so they wanted to be close to her. But uh, really, there's not that many people around there. So again, everybody was more neighborly.
3: If you can take us back to August second, two thousand eight, and tell us how that day unfolded, as far as you know, for your grandfather
4: mm mm-hmm. um, Really, the day before was pretty ordinary. At the time, I was living in California, but I, I have some other family members who were traveling and visiting Moses Lake to visit my grandparents. And they had arrived at, the night before. And on the morning of August 2nd, they decided to take a car trip to another part of Washington to see some other family members. And they loaded up the car to do that. My grandfather just wanted to kind of hang out on his own and decided not to go. So, pretty early in the morning, I think probably before 8 a.m., my aunt Valerie, um, her daughter Valerie Ann, and her other son Jamie and his wife, and a few, and my grandmother and another aunt filled up the car and they went to Eastern Washington and my grandpa stayed behind. Um, and what they told me that the last image of him was standing at the, the gate of the, of the property um, waving goodbye. So they headed off to Eastern Washington and on their way, it's about 90, 90 minutes or so from Moses Lake. So sometime during that trip, my grandmother called my grandfather for something, and he didn't answer the phone. Um, which, you know, to some people may might not immediately um, sound any alarm bells, but for her, I don't know. I guess they stayed in such close contact that she thought that was unusual. So she kept trying, and a couple of other people in the car called a neighbor to see if they had seen my grandfather. So they kept trying, and this is. You know, I don't know how much time had elapsed because I don't think they had reached um, their location or they did and were heading back because they were uncertain of where my grandfather was. So I'm not sure exactly how much time had elapsed, but they could not get a hold of him and were concerned enough to turn around and come back to Moses Lake. And sometime on that return trip, I don't know if my grandmother or another family member in the car got a hold of someone in Moses Lake and asked them to go and check on my grandfather. And, uh, he did. And, uh, what he found was my grandfather in the garage and it was a mess and it was just a horrific accident. He didn't know what had happened, but he knew something happened to my grandfather. So Unfortunately, it was a pretty stressful car ride home because they're trying to communicate by phone to see what happened and get many details. But there was just so little information and and really a little understanding of what happened.
3: So there were no so- witnesses to, to the explosion that, that killed your grandfather?
4: Unfortunately, there's no eyewitness that's come forward. There were neighbors that were home who lived pretty close that said they heard the sound they heard something loud they potentially called it a bomb so there's people that heard this sound but unfortunately no one went to investigate so my grandfather was dead on the on his garage floor for quite a while before anyone came
3: to look for him so obviously this is a horrific scene when your family gets back to the property I, I assume everybody's upset, and were there police on scene or ambulances on scene, anything like that when you arrived um, back there
4: yeah they when they arrived back, um the police were there, and they did i did a cursory look, and it was in his garage behind the home, uh obviously very messy, and I think the police officers at that time. Um, jumped to some conclusions based on what they saw with their eyes and thought that my grandfather had had an accident on his own and there was an explosion that he caused. So initially, the initial belief was that he did something to cause it.
3: And how soon did the police start thinking that it wasn't wasn't an accident, that it was uh, some kind of bomb?
4: You know, unfortunately for my grandfather's case, it wasn't until many hours later and sadly Another man in Moses Lake was killed by a bomb. And he, um, and this was literally within, I think, about 12 hours. So lucky for us that it, it happened soon after. But it wasn't until they responded to that man's um, scene and started looking around and, and saw some similarities or saw enough information to have them think that the cases were connected. And it, and it was only at that time. That law enforcement came back to my grandfather's garage and then declared it a crime scene.
3: So, that other man you're talking about is Javier Adami. And yes. He was killed in an explosion. How close did he live to your grandfather?
4: It was probably around, I would say, 10 miles or less.
3: And they didn't have any connections? They weren't. They didn't know each other? They weren't friends, anything like that?
4: You know, at the time, uh, the families weren't familiar with each other. And um, when it became known who he was, you know, a lot of us were talking like, do you know them? Do you know this family? Um, and the family could never see any connection. And I can tell you from the conversations I've had with law enforcement throughout this last 10 years of investigation, they have since found no connection. Um, connection between my grandfather and javier adami
3: and the bomb that killed your grandfather was disguised as a battery charger and presumably he discovered that someplace on his property he took it in and plugged it in and that's what caused the explosion can you tell me anything about that battery charger was that something that your grandfather had seen before
4: you know the battery charger that they used was an item that belonged to my grandfather what we don't know is how it got the bomb attached to it. This item was loaned out to a family member for some time, um, probably weeks to months. And that is something that the family does not know is how that item got back into my grandfather's possession or when, if it was somehow placed in the garage or it was delivered that morning or sitting on the steps that morning or sitting in the, driveway that morning that's the part we do not know but the item did belong to my grandfather
3: so they just haven't been able to piece back how that got back to him with a bomb in it
4: exactly right
3: so this isn't a typical murder scene that a lot of police investigate you know a lot of times they're investigating a shooting or stabbing something along those lines (laughs) Uh, but because it's a bombing it brought out the atf and the fbi And despite Mm -hmm. all their efforts, the case remains unsolved. Uh, During the investigation, the authorities presented some theories, and one of them that your grandfather may not have been the intended victim, and it could have been meant for somebody else. Uh, Yes. And and one of the things they disclosed was that it possibly had something to do with uh, drugs. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: and and one of the newspaper articles reported that somebody in your family had a, an arrest for, for uh, marijuana plants. How closely did authorities look at the drug angle? And did your family personally think that there was anything, any kind of merit to that?
4: I'm certain the police followed any lead or theory that they could find. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad they did and I hope they do. Um, for the family it was very shocking to even consider a drug connection because again my my grandfather wasn't known for that and we had no reason to believe there was a connection with my grandfather himself um, there were I do have some cousins and other those family members that had a history of um, uh, drug violations I don't know how serious they were but that was the only, connection with drugs per se, but my grandfather himself was certainly never a part of it. And in the 10 years that the police have been investigating this, they still haven't found any link um, between my grandfather and any kind of drug culture in Moses Lake. And I can tell you now, um, I stay in touch with the detective And again, he recently reminded me that at this time, they do not believe my grandfather was the target of that bomb.
3: And without naming names, do you think there was somebody, (laughs) if it was meant for somebody else in your family, do you have somebody in mind that it could have possibly been meant for?
4: I have suspicions only based on the item originally belonging to my grandfather, but being loaned out to someone else and other probably the drug charges lead us to believe that there's a potential there. Um, we we just don't know for certain. We don't know what's true. Um, several family members have been interviewed by police over the years. Uh, several family members and neighbors um, have been interviewed and polygraphed. But right now, we just don't know.
3: And I know that your grandfather and Javier Adami didn't run in the same circles. They didn't seem to know each other. There's no connections, but he did have, or at least it was reported that he had possibly been involved in drug dealing. And that fed into a theory that perhaps the bombings were related to an actual drug cartel. Have Mm -hmm. you found out any proof of that? Is there any history of drug cartels operating in that area? Anything along those lines?
4: I honestly don't know the answer to that. We've, it's something to consider just based on what we've heard from other people and law enforcement. And, um, we didn't know Javier Adami. I don't know if he had any history or, or drug charges. Um, I believe what I've learned is that he sadly was the intended target of, of his bomb. Um, so even though in all this 10 years, the police have not found a connection between my grandfather or him, they have found a connection between the materials In both of their deaths. So there there is a connection. But unfortunately, so far, law enforcement have not been able to find exactly what it is or lead them to make any arrests.
3: So before this all happened, your grandfather, as far as your family knows, didn't have anybody with a grudge against him, didn't have any enemies, anything like that?
4: Nothing that we knew about, nothing obvious, nothing. No one came to the house. No one called. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's always possible. And I always encourage the detectives to follow any lead, any rabbit trail they have to see where it goes. But to our knowledge, No.
3: And how does your family deal with this? You know, for the past ten years, this strange mystery that you find yourselves in. How do you, how do you all process that and continue to go forward and try and search for answers and, and find the truth in this?
4: You know, each person has their own way uh, and their own coping skills. For the family members that I've been closest to, like I said, I was living in California at the time, and my aunt who was present the the morning this happened. She lives in another state also. And she really found a voice through advocacy and reaching out to other organizations, victim adv- um, advocate programs and other nonprofits to try to navigate through this and see what should we do? How should we do it? Um, she was a real um, champion for raising the $10,000 for my for for information that we have right now through Crime Stoppers. So my aunt and some cousins back east um, put a lot of their efforts into fundraising um, because so many organizations said you know you've got to get a reward, raise as much money as you can. And my my aunt Valerie is was a real champion for that. So that took a while to figure out how to do that. It's not easy to raise money in different states. We learned have different laws about this and. So we were on this path and wanted to do what we could. And raising money was really the only obvious way we thought to do that. Um, We're not trained investigators. Um, You know, everybody these days is kind of an an, an armchair detective. But we really that's all we could do is try to reach out to other organizations and find ways to get involved and advocate. But ultimately, raising money um, and working with Crime Stoppers to put out that reward was really the best way to do what we could and champion for finding out what happened and ultimately leading to an arrest would be great.
3: So it's coming up on ten years since your grandfather was murdered and this what's the status of the case today? You know, do you still get regular updates? You know, I know you mentioned that you do stay in touch, but are they actively working the case and, and pursuing leads and stuff?
4: I'm happy to tell you that they are. It's still considered a cold case, but um, there is a new detective on the case. I spoke to him very recently and introduced myself. With law enforcement, I stayed in touch with the previous detective. Um, They don't send updates per se, but they're very receptive if we reach out to them. So I met the new detective um, over the phone, and he is very enthusiastic. He said that despite it being a cold case that they're actively working the case and they're working to eliminate possibilities. Um, He still does not believe that my grandfather was the target of this bomb and that um, they're going in the right direction.
3: And you mentioned too, that you did start a Facebook page uh, about the, the case. Mm -hmm. How, how do uh, listeners find that page and, and, Tell us a little bit more about what you've got on that page that they can look at and learn more about this case.
4: Yeah. The the Facebook page is something that my aunt and cousin did just as a way, as a reminder um, to people in the community specifically that the case remains unsolved because when we do speak to people around Moses Lake, they're shocked to learn it hasn't been solved. And that surprises me because this is their community and again, a small community. So it was a way to remind people, build awareness of this event and this this very violent ending um, to my grandfather's life. But so building awareness and reminding people that it's unsolved And any time they can, um, uh, you know, post any information, any tip, any ideas, we welcome that, um, of course, anything that would bring justice to not only my grandfather's case, but Mr. Adami's case. Um, that's really our ultimate goal is to find out what happened and and bring those people, person people to justice.
3: And what's oh. the name of the Facebook page?
4: It's the William Arley Walker page.
3: So you mentioned that there's a reward out currently in this case. How much is it a reward?
4: Yes, through Crime Stoppers, we were able to raise ten thousand dollars.
3: And hopefully if somebody has information, they'll come forward not because of a reward, but because they want to help. And that's what we we'll hope hope they'll do. And they're not motivated by the money, but some people are. And if that's all well, the case, and
4: then... you know, Mike, I'm okay with that. I want fine. we raise that money for a reason. If it's going to help get someone to a telephone, they can have it. It's theirs and in good faith. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. I have no <laughs> grudge against anyone. If they know, if they know something, if they know someone, I, please call. I mean, I whether it's a goodness of your heart or not, I don't mind because we want answers. And I I believe that once one of these cases is solved, the other will be solved, obviously, because they're related through the bombing material. So they're going to be able to solve two cases. So that would make me happy. Anyone can call and it can't, but it can be anonymous as well. So it can be anonymous if they are worried about their identity being revealed. Um, You can do this anonymously.
3: And Victoria, finally, most importantly, and to close out, if somebody out there listening thinks they know something about this case or has information, who should they contact?
4: Well, they have. There's two ways. Crime stop. If they go to Crime Stoppers and look up my grandfather's name or even Javier Adami, it will pull up the page with the information with an 800 number. I can give that 800 number to you. But also, if they go to Crime Stopper, they can search the website either through the name or. I think the city too will bring it up and they can also call the, um, the grant County Sheriff's office, but crime stoppers is the one that probably they can have more easy easy access to. I can give you the number. It's 1-800-222-8477.
3: Awesome. And hopefully if somebody does have information out there and they hear that they'll come forward and and provide some information or a tip, and hopefully that leads to a resolution in this case.
4: Absolutely. No, again, I really appreciate you talking about the case, because it has been 10 years. And this is a case that's definitely a cold case. And I feel like the only way it's going to be solved is someone coming forward that might know something that could know something that saw something that overheard something. I don't care how you know it. But I feel like this is going to be the only reason the only way this case and Mr. Adami's case are going to be solved. So Thank you. Thank you. And we appreciate any media coverage we can get. Important things. I mean, there's little details um, that aren't necessarily important for the case. But just so you know, uh, initially, when I talked about how the police jumped to some conclusions when they f- were first at my grandfather's garage, um, I- I'm frustrated by that. I don't necessarily talk about it a lot, but just so you're aware, um, they left there and did not declare it a crime scene. And then in the 12, 10, 12 hours before they came back, a lot of people were in the garage and a lot of well-meaning people swept up the garage and tried to clean it up so my grandmother wouldn't have to see it. And unfortunately in doing that, what do you think happened? Um, every bit of um, forensic evidence, pristine, clean, untouched forensic evidence was um, mishandled and t- thrown away and in a dustbin. And that makes me really frustrated. Would it have solved it? I don't know, but I would have liked the FBI to get authentic forensic evidence that was laying there on the floor and collected by medical or forensic professionals. And it wasn't. So unfortunately, I think that set the case back a bit too.
3: So they they must have known, the police must have known there's some kind of explosion by the debris and the damage and injuries to your grandfather. What kind of explosion they did did they, did they think it was
4: that's what I don't know. I think they just jumped to the conclusion that there's this old guy out in his garage who did this to himself i mean i'm being I'm speaking bluntly to you because ten years have gone by um, and that's exactly what happened. I, they just didn't look a little they didn't take the time to look a little bit and maybe we should have somebody else come out and analyze this. Moses Lake is a small town. Even when the time came to get um, more professional forensics in there, they had to call other cities and federal agencies to do that. So, I they just thought he did something wrong and crossed this wire to that wire and was responsible himself. So, unfortunately, that set us back a bit. And I, you know, and I don't want to alienate law enforcement, but I am a law enforcement junkie. I, I support them. I know they have a difficult job. But, you know, I'm also an organizational psychologist. I'm a critical thinker, so I wouldn't roll up on any scene and just immediately think I know what happened within a half hour. What would it hurt to put up that crime scene tape and give it 24 hours? Nothing, you know?
3: And then by the time they put two and two together, that it's related to another bombing, the the scene's been cleaned up.
4: Yes, valuable evidence has been lost or contaminated.
3: And you're right. You, you Now you wonder, would that have solved anything? Would they have found anything that might have helped? And you have to wonder about that part. Yeah,
4: And that's frustrating. I don't blame them per se. I just think in the beginning, a lot of valuable evidence was lost and it was mishandled. So I feel like that set us back.
3: Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show, so that the show can continue to reach new listeners. To learn more about the show or the cases we cover, please visit themurdermyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderInMyFam or by searching for The Murder in My Family on Facebook. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon, it's always appreciated. You can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash family. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash murder In each episode, I'll give shout-outs to any new supporters. And thank you to all of the supporters that generously donate and keep the podcast going. Your support is appreciated and helps the show grow and improve. As we wrap up this episode, be sure to check out previews for two true crime podcasts I think you really will enjoy. Murder Was The Case and True Crime Sweden. And until next time, remember, every murder victim means something to somebody.
2: If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. Let's skip the foreplay. Murder. You want to talk about it. Hear about all kinds of nasty things. Sex. Torture, madness, dismemberment. And why, more than anything, you want to know why? Well, dear listener, you ain't never had a friend like me.
0: Tune in to Murder Was the Case, featuring author and investigative criminologist, Lee Meller. Sometimes solo, often with guests, always horrifically entertaining, Listen to Murder Was the Case on iTunes, Google Play, or go to murderwasthecase.podbean.com.
2: It's gonna be sick. Hi, this is Pernilla from the True Crime Sweden podcast. If you thought Sweden was all about IKEA and Swedish meatballs, you are in for a big surprise. We do have our fair share of crimes in Sweden, too, and I'm here to tell you all about them. I bring up all sorts of true crime cases, and by listening, you get to learn a little bit about how the legal system works in another country. For example, I did an episode about the case that created the Stockholm Syndrome. You've probably heard about the Stockholm Syndrome, but do you know the case behind it? Well. Besides talking about true crime, I end each episode with a little fun fact about Sweden, something that is really appreciated by my listeners. And maybe I should add that my podcast is, of course, in English. If you think this sounds interesting, give it a try by searching for True Crime Sweden on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast at. I hope to see you!